church, you can be seated. Our kids' church, you guys can make your way out. Up to first grade can make their way out. Everyone else can stay in here with us and worship with us. We need that energy, church. We need that kid energy in our life, right? I love it. Hey, that's the most beautiful part of what we do here, guys, is the, our kids and worshiping with them. So thankful for them. turn our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke. Our older children's church is going to be in here with us this morning. And uh, they're, they're probably thinking they better have snacks during this time this morning. But uh, sorry, no snacks for, uh, for us this morning. But hopefully we'll get something from God's word today. And we'll look at uh, the book of Luke. And we're going to be in the 12th chapter this morning. As I was saying earlier, we've been going through our vision series. And we just really been looking at stories uh, when you <clears throat> when you look at the book of Luke and when you get to the time of the resurrection it really just kind of caught my eye as me and brother Jake were looking at several things that we kind of wanted to you know uh, look at and anticipate as far as the uh, getting time getting uh, closer to Easter and having that Easter just emphasis we started seeing people that the Lord was seeing especially on his way to the cross. And so we begin to look at stories and, and situations of people losing their sight or gaining their sight uh, from the Lord healing them. Over the last couple of weeks, we have seen the Lord uh, give sight to the blind. Okay. One man that had been blind from birth, another man that had uh, been blind later on because he, as we saw last week, uh, you can see that he had seen things before. He knew what trees looked like. Um, but <clears throat> the first week that we kind of got into this, we looked at uh, John the Baptist losing his spiritual sight. He asked a question to his disciples, and he wanted his, John's, John the Baptist's disciples to go ask Jesus, should we look for another, or are you the Christ? And so John had lost, John the Baptist had even lost his spiritual vision. I think these are all examples of things that we can find ourselves in of really losing our sight, losing our vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and not seeing him clearly. When we come to this passage of scripture in the book of Luke, it's another time where we spiritually lose our vision. It's not an actual physical vision uh, series uh, or message this morning, but more of a spiritual uh, losing our vision. And when we come to this passage of scripture, it's very interesting. The Lord is, is speaking and preaching to the congregation. He's, he's preaching to a large group of people. You've got to understand at this point in time of Jesus' ministry, he is right in the middle of it as far as his earthly ministry. And he is, he's there, he's preaching these great messages. He's using a lot of parables. Parables are real good earthly examples of a heavenly meaning behind them, okay? And so what, what that's basically saying is he got on their level. He started telling them things that would really, it was very relatable to them to get his point across on a spiritual matter. And so when we get here to this point, 
uh, in the story. Again, Jesus is doing these great uh, uh, teaching and preaching uh, there. And then when he gets to in this part of chapter 12, he starts to get conversations from people. He starts to get questions from people there in the audience. And so as he is there, and when we get to basically verse 13, a guy calls out to Jesus and says, hey, my brother will not divide uh, his inheritance with me. And so he's wanting Jesus to settle the matter between him and his brother. And Jesus answers the question that, you know, you're, you're more worried about your physical and financial needs instead of what's most important is your spiritual need. And Jesus told them, said, listen, I'm going to tell you this story of this man who, who had everything. And what he did was he, not, he realized he had everything and he wanted more. He wanted a little bit more than what he already had. And he, so he said, you know what? I'm going to tear down my old barns and I'm going to build greater barns and, and bigger storehouses. And he goes, then I'll be really satisfied. And Jesus said, yes, this man did those things, but yet he did not know that he would lose his soul that night. And it would be someone else's. And then he, he called this man a rich fool. All right. And so when we get to the next part, when we are looking up and picking up on verse 22, and we're going to uh, go down to thir- verse 34 this morning. When Jesus finishes that, that conversation to the crowd, I love this. He turns to his 12 disciples. People who are supposed to be believers. Gather, I mean, people who say they have a relationship with Jesus and Jesus just kind of brings them in and he begins to talk to them specifically. So what we're in, what we're seeing this morning is a very intimate conversation between the Lord Jesus Christ and his 12 disciples. And now we know uh, Judas was was in the midst of, of, of that group, but Jesus is bringing them in because he really wants to be personal with them. And he really wants it to be not a big crowd uh, conversation, even though there was probably some that heard it. But he really wanted to have this conversation with them to say, listen, if you really trust me and if you really know me, then I need you to understand these things. I need you to follow after me in these things. And I know I'm kind of giving a a broad example this morning. We're going to get very detailed and very personal about it in just a few minutes. But this, this right here is really what you're going to uh, get from it this morning is really more of a conversation of our overflow of what I've really just kind of been dealing with over the last few weeks. And really this passage of scripture has really just spoken in my heart. So if you say, well, Garen, you're just, you're preaching at me this morning. It is the exact opposite. You're getting an overflow of what the Lord has already done in my heart and life and still is doing in my heart and my life when it comes to this passage of scripture. Not all of us, not all of us are, uh, are, are Mr. Craig Neal and Mr. Billy that just have no worries anymore in their life. They're retired, they're laid back, they're fishing and uh, don't have anything else to do. Mr. I, I see, I got other guys I can pick out over there. Uh, and so several of them just, I mean, not a care in the world, right? But if you're like me this morning, I'm just picking on those guys. I know they have their, their own things that they're, they're going through. But worry. Worry. If you're like me this morning, you think about it. The Lord just really gets into these 12 disciples in their business. 
And he tells them, he says, listen, you're worrying. You're dealing with things in your life that are really causing you stress, really causing anxiety in your life. And it's really a sign that you've lost your vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, and really we can title it in this vision, just seeking. And he keeps telling us, seek, seek, seek. And what are we seeking this morning? What are we looking for when we're talking about in our everyday life, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And in verse 22, he really just really gets in our business. In verse 22, as we look at this, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Therefore, because he gave that example of that rich fool, I say to you, do not worry about your life. He says what you will eat. Uh, don't worry, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. You think about how much our life is consumed about providing, about what we're going to have, the things that we have and the things that we don't have. Now, we can go into Scripture and Scripture and Scripture uh, and to talk about how the Lord is not, it, the Lord in no way, and that's what you got to do with Scripture. You've got to take it, take it in its entirety. In no way he's telling a person to be lazy and not to work. He's not doing that. He's not talking about uh, us being a bunch of unhealthy, gluttonous people. He's not telling us those things. But he's telling us that we need, we're, we're consuming our lives with these material possessions. Just like he gave that example of that rich fool. And there's things that are so much greater than those minute things. He continues on in verse 23. He says, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. And then he gives us a great example. He, he gives us an example and the Lord did this, like I said, not only in parables, but he did it, did it uh, in comparison to nature, things that they were very much aware of that they saw maybe on an everyday basis. <clears throat> and he says, consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap. Which, which have neither uh, storehouse nor born, and God feeds them. He says, you know what? They're not worried about what's going to happen, and they're not even preparing for a rainy day. He says, but they're just trusting on their instinct and on their nature, and they know that something is going to be provided for them. He says they don't, they don't reap what they sow because they don't put any work in. But yet God feeds them. God knows. God knows when the sparrow falls. God knows all of these things. And he says that he's watching out for them. And he, and just, he says for us to consider them. And he says God feeds them. God protects them. He says in verse 24, And how much more value are you than the birds? And so for, for me, this just speaks so much to me because we're trying and trying and trying to get things done and trying to get things accomplished. And it seems like we're just spinning our wheels. Or like I told you before, this is me preaching. This is this, uh, this scripture preaching to me. And you're just hearing an overflow of it. But it seems like you begin to just spin your wheels and you never really get on top of these situations. And it's because we're doing it in our own might and our own strength. And instead of us finding ourselves just being under the, under the authority of the Lord and saying, Lord, show me, lead me, 
guide me, direct me, feed me. Because if you're going to feed the ravens and you tell me from your own mouth that I'm even greater than those, then why can't I just trust you to take care of me when it comes to my physical needs, the food and the body, the clothing. And he tells us this of how much more value are you than the birds? Verse 25, and then he continues and he kind of shifts it a little bit more. And he says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I almost played a little joke because that's just my personality, this, you know, always. But this morning, I almost just kind of sat there and didn't move when Brother Jake got done praying and just kind of turned it to him and said, I thought you were preaching this morning. And just see maybe the little bit of worry that would have come in his eyes and being like, no, you remember we talked about this. You were preaching this morning and kind of had a little bit of back and forth. But I said, you know what? I'm not going to be that silly this morning. I got to go home after and I didn't want my wife to kill me later on. But as we just the level of worry that can come in our hearts and minds and our lives so quickly. Right. So quickly. And for me, sometimes it is just with a thought that just pops in my mind and now I begin to worry about those things and he tells us in this passage of scripture in verse 25 he says by you worrying what exactly can you add to the equation Ron math what can you add to the equation by you worrying he says it doesn't do anything about it not at all and he says listen by you worrying is not going to help you. So why don't you just trust in me? In verse 26, it says, if you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? I mean, if we really got personal to it, it's not something I really deal with a lot. And I don't say this uh, half-hearted at all, but we have so many people that deal with anxiety and unrest. And I, I think about my everyday life, just dealing with my work and my home and all those different things and, and things that I stress over and worry about. And, and I try to keep those things in the right perspective, but uh, there's many of maybe you or others around us that are really dealing with heavy anxiety in their life. People, some people, it, it's hard for them to even function in their everyday life because of the weight of anxiety uh, that is on them. And the Bible is telling us here, and Jesus is speaking of this 2,000 years ago, where he says, what, what are you able to do? If you're not even able to do this in the least, he says, why are you anxious for the rest? He says, why don't, why don't you just find trust? Why don't you put those things under me, in me, so that you can find the things that you're actually looking for? He says, I can do, I can do these things. I have the authority to help in these situations. What's always amazing to me is two things. Number one, whenever I really place that trust in the Lord, you know, and, and, and really, and I'm so focused on a situation and then I begin to really pray about it, whether it's with a person or just something. And I really just begin to pray about it and I, I'm talking to the Lord about it and I'm asking him to help me deal with that situation. It's amazing of how the Lord deals with it. It's never as bad as I think it is. It's never, it, it's, it's always it seems to have worked out and there's a, a new day. And then it's always amazing that I forget it the next time. Right. It's it's amazing how the Lord will work those things out. And it's amazing that I'll find myself in that situation all over again. And so he's telling us here 
You can't add anything to it. And if you can't add anything to it, then why are you anxious for the rest? Then he gives another example. Lisa, uh, this past week, I don't mean to call you out twice, but Lisa this past week was, uh, saw something on maybe my Google search or something like that. And she goes, she, she got kind of excited, I think. She thought I was fixing to plant a bunch of lilies. But that wasn't the case. I was, she, I was just prepping for my message this week. Uh, and, and when it comes to this, it gives us a great example. And I didn't, I didn't learn too much more than what I knew about lilies in the first place. But in verse 27, he tells us to consider the lilies. He says how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They're not doing the work that it's necessary for them to be what they are, is basically what he's saying. Do you think they really put in the work? They didn't. He says, they neither toil nor spin yet. And I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory, before we get to Solomon, just thinking about the, the beautiful lilies, he's telling us they're beautiful, all their glory. And, and, and it says, and even Solomon is not arrayed like one of these. He's saying, he's saying the lily is just so beautiful and they did nothing to get to that point of beauty. Nothing they did on their own, the lilies. He said, consider the lilies, they did nothing to show this beauty on their own, and yet look at them of how beautiful they are. And then he gives us a great example of Solomon. Now, Solomon to me is very interesting. Um, Solomon had, he, he was unique because nobody had the things that Solomon had. You know, when, when you think about King David in the, in the Old Testament, King David, uh, he basically, though, grew up in a home where his dad was just kind of a normal guy, it seems to be, right? When you think about Jesse, I think he was a very respected man in the community. And I believe his, his sons were really respectable uh, young guys at that time. You see them working in the field. You see them when it's time for battle, they're out there fighting uh, for the nation of Israel. I believe he raised some good young men. Uh, but unique to David is that, uh, or, for, or for Solomon, is that David was king for 40 years of the nation of Israel. And whenever he had his son Solomon, David and Bathsheba, when they had their son Solomon, Solomon grew up in the, in the kingdom. He grew up a king's son. And not only did he grow up a king's son and that he had all of this wealth, David, David kind of had a dream or a vision to build a temple, Right? You remember this, that he comes and he says, Lord, you know, here we are, a nation of Israel. And when we go to worship, we worship in a temporary space. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? All right. The nation of Israel, Israel, they were worshiping in a tabernacle, a tent. And David, when he goes home from that place, kind of in our situation, he goes home to a nice home. And he tells the Lord, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. He goes, I want to build you a great house. And, and the Lord said to him, he said, David, good thought. He said, but David, you're a man of war. You have, a, you have a lot of blood on your hands. He says, I'm going to use your son to build this great temple of mine. And so what David does in the meantime, before his son is able to, before his son is king, David starts to prepare all of the things that his son needs. David's like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to build it. I get you. And this is just kind of a side story. He says, I'm not going to build it, but I'm going to prepare everything that I have that I can before raising up a hammer and nailing, and nailing, those, and, and nailing the, uh, the materials in. He goes, I'm going to prepare it so when my son comes, he'll have everything. And so when Solomon grew up and Solomon is now the king and he, of course, builds the temple, 
And, and he is, the Bible tells us that he is the wealthiest person that will ever live. The Bible tells us that, that he had everything. He had everything that he could possibly want. And even whenever the Lord asked him, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon said, Lord, give me wisdom. No one was going to be as wise as Solomon was. We could read many of his stories in the Bible uh, that, that uh, records just his, his wealth that he had, his wisdom that he had. And then he was the person, he had everything at his disposal. Meaning that when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it tells us that he tried everything. He tried everything. And at the end of the conclusion, he says, vanity and everything is empty. Everything that you go and try to pursue, all of those things are empty. And he comes to the conclusion that your pursuit should be to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, as much as Solomon had, going back to our verse here, in verse 27, he says, the, the lilies grow on their own. They don't have anything that they bring to the table, and yet they're beautiful. Yet they, God has, we talked about not only God's mercy this morning during this time of song, but we talked about God's grace. God is just pouring on out his love and his beauty on these lilies. And he says, listen, even Solomon was not, uh, uh, did not have as much as these lilies have. And Solomon had all kinds of success. And he says in verse 28, if then God so clothes the grass, if God does this to grass, to flowers, which today is in the field and tomorrow is in the oven. I think about planting. I, I think about last year we went and we, we decided to do our own landscaping and we put in our, our own flowers and did all that mulching and, and all of that. Just I think about my dirty fingers and hard work. I don't know why the Woodards don't just come do it for us at our house. I, I don't understand that. But we had to put in the work ourselves. And guess what? It's time to do it all over again. And he tells us here, he says, you're talking about seasons. And that kind of beauty is put on those simple things that is just going to be trashed tomorrow. It's going to be burnt up tomorrow. And yet the Lord throws that kind of grace and love and beauty and array on those things, on nature. And he says, and tomorrow it's thrown in the oven. In verse 28, he says, how much more will he clothe you? And he says something very deep to them, in, uh, to these 12 disciples sitting there in front of him. He says, oh ye, I like the Old Testament, I like the Old King James version of this. Oh ye of little faith. He says, you don't have, you don't have faith at all. Again, I'm just speaking to myself. I'm speaking to what the Lord was speaking to me this week, even preparing for this. He says, you're showing little to no faith at all when you find yourselves in this situation. Because we're so worried. We're trying to do all these things in our strength and knowing that the Lord is just, he's wanting you to turn to him for help. Lord, you do it. These examples that you gave me just now, they ain't doing a thing. But they know if you don't come through, they ain't growing. They're, they're, it's not happening with them unless you come through. And for us, we're going to try to figure out with our hands, with our feet, with our minds, with our ability. We're going to try to figure it on our own instead of placing our faith in the Lord and allowing him to use our hands, our feet, our mind. All of these things that we have, but yet do, doing it through his strength. He tells him in verse 28, 
uh, 28 at the end of it again. He says, O you of little faith. And he says in verse 29, and do not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor have an anxious mind. Boy, if we can control our mind, we would be in better shape than we are today. But our mind just runs crazy. We're so worried about those things. We can't keep up with it. It's too fast. We can't keep up with the people around us. It's just, it's just, it's going at a pace that we just cannot keep up with. And he says, do not seek, do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink. He says, nor have an anxious mind. And he continues on. It's a bridge into this next verse for all these things. The nations of the world seek after. He said, that's what the world is seeking after. He's again, let's not forget who he's telling this to. He's not saying this to the big crowd. He's having an intimate conversation with the 12. And he says, listen, the world is seeking everything else. That's why he tells us in, in, uh, I think it's the chapter before. He says that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Everybody is heading that way. And they're finding emptiness, emptiness, emptiness. And, but everybody's just going that way. He said, that's where the world is going. The nations seek after those things of things. And he says, listen, instead, you need to seek me. You need to seek my hand. You need to seek my face. And he says, the world seeks after these things in verse 30. And listen to this. This is just a, a jewel here. And your father knows that you need these things. And your father knows that you need these things. We're coming to the Lord constantly and asking him for these things that we want to make sure that the Lord knows that we need these things. Lord, I need this in my life. This is happening in my life. I need you to come through in my life. I want you to understand that the Lord even knows before you come to him that you need these things. The Lord wants you to know that you can come to him. And when you come to him, it's not foreign to him. It's not foreign to him. That's why the Lord tells us that even when the floodwaters came, that he was still on his throne. He knew what was happening. He knew the situation. All Noah had to do was continue to be found safe in the arms of the Lord where God had, pla- where God had placed him. Verse 30, he says, even before you come, the Lord knows the things that you need. In verse 31, I love this, and this is the, our key verse this morning. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. He's not telling us the things that we're talking about, the clothing, the food, just the the material things that we're talking about and needing in our life. It's not like we don't need those things. But he's saying if we would just seek the Lord first, then all these other things would be added to us. I've said this many times before as I've preached is, you know what, I, I cannot be the husband that I need to be, I cannot be the father that I need to be, I cannot be the church member, I cannot be these things that I need to be unless I'm under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord can love more in these areas. You're speaking to me like, R, R, was that R2, D2? Or... Jake and his Star Wars. 
And that's jakerainwater.com, pastorjake.com. I'm just joking, I'm sorry. Let me get get back. The Lord, uh, if I would seek him and ask for his strength in my life, he then would be able to go the extra mile in these relationships to really allow me to love the way I need to love and care in the ways that I need to care in these places. And he says to us that if we would just seek the kingdom of God, that all these things would be added to us. If we would just trust him. If we wouldn't be these people that, that he's telling right here, oh ye of little faith. And, and finally for the conclusion this morning. In verse 32, 33, and 34, he really kind of just brings it to a close. And I, I love the way that the Lord does this here. Because it's, it's almost like, listen, we're already close. We're already in this intimate place where I'm talking to the 12. But I love how he almost says to them in, in this setting of just come a little closer. Come a little closer. I feel like he gets a little bit more just on a personal side with them when he gets into this part in verse 32. Or this is maybe even just my mind. But he says, do not fear, little flock. Do not fear, little flock. Like he's, he's saying, listen, you're, you're mine. You know, I'm bringing you close here. You're, you're my people that I have decided to really pour my life into. You're going to spend three and a half years together. Just seeing me and me teaching you and you're going to do great things whenever I depart. I I think about Peter in that situation and and just all the many things that he had gone through. And when the Lord leaves, Peter is just a, a mighty man of the Lord, a mighty man of God. And he's saying, Peter, James, John, the rest of them come close. He says, do not fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, it's my pleasure to give these things to you. I don't know if you've had an earthly dad or mom. I don't know if you're that earthly dad or mom that has a great relationship with a son or daughter. And it is, when you think about it in, in that Especially, a, a, you know, I don't, uh, you know, especially a young baby that really, besides crying and keeping mama up at night, is really not doing anything wrong. Just cuteness all the way around, right? Is you want to give everything. You, know, you, you, you speak these things to them as that young baby rocking them. I, I want to provide so much for you. I want to give so much to you. If you, as an earthly mom or dad, have that kind of affection and love for your child as a sinful, selfish person, how much more does your heavenly father want to give and lavish his love on you? That's why he says those things about, listen, I'm feeding the ravens. I am pouring out my love and my beauty that's going to be lost in the next season on these flowers how much more do I want to give and lavish on you and he says listen little flock for your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom sell what you have and give alms 
Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And what he's saying here is that let your treasure be in heaven and not on earth. And it's good to have things as long as things don't have you. It's, it's good for us to invest when we invest in people and it takes from us as long as it's, it's building the kingdom of God and we're adding value to the kingdom of God. He's saying that's where your treasure should be. And if things get stolen from you and you know what, that, that is one of the hardest things to ever just kind of get over. It's, it's so personal to us, right? When that happens. And I'm definitely not disregarding that or speaking light of that. But especially much more if those things are, are what you have put everything in is those possessions and they're gone. Then yes, it really will make a big difference in your life. But when you understand, you know what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. Because you know what? Just as the Lord has given me before, the Lord can give to me again. But that's not where my treasure is in those things that I can physically touch. But those treasures I'm laying up in heaven, the Bible's telling me. In verse 34, and he finishes, finishes this off, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are we investing in? What are we putting our trust in? And what are we trying to seek riches in? Are we pouring that in, are we pouring that in other people's lives? Are we really investing in the kingdom of God? Talking about people. The kingdom of God is not buildings and programs and all of those different things. It's, it's people. It's, it's serving the Lord the way he wants us to serve him with our whole heart, our mind, our strength, everything. And he says those things no one can take away from you. That's where our focus needs to be. That's where our mind needs to be. And he says, listen, we're worrying about things that we cannot control and we can't add to those things. So why are we worrying about them? And so this morning, as we conclude and, and we finish this personal conversation that the Lord has with these disciples and he is giving them the vision. For us, I think it, it's making sure that we've not lost the vision. Meaning that when, when I say us not losing the vision, this is just in our everyday life of understanding that I've got to trust the Lord. I've got to look to him. I've got to show a little bit of faith that the Lord tells me if I would just, I would just place myself under him and in his direction and his guidance that he's going to take care of the situations that are before me. And when I don't trust him in those areas, I've lost my vision. I've lost my faith. And that's why he turned to them and said, oh, ye of little faith. He says, seek me, seek the kingdom of God. And so that's my encouragement to us today. If you find yourself this morning, again, as we conclude, if you find yourself that you say, Garen, I've never first and foremost, on first base, I've never trusted the Lord. I've never turned to him for salvation. The Lord says that we can look to him if we call upon the name of the Lord, that we can be saved, that we could have that relationship with him. And it's only because 
of His work, of what He's done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That we could have this relationship with Him. And then for us, if you say that, that you're a Christian, that you're a believer, that you have trusted the Lord with your life, then live it. Then live it. Show that faith, that everyday faith in your life. That's why I was telling you from the beginning, as I'm finished. This was a reminder and a message for me. Garen, remember. Come to the Lord. Seek Him. Why are you worrying? Why are you stressing? Because you're taking those things under your own ability and trying to do it your way and in your hands. And the Lord's telling me and He's telling us that we need to place our faith in Him in our everyday life. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you for just this message that you had for these disciples 2,000 years ago and how it speaks so true to us today. It speaks to us because we find ourselves in a place of worry, in a place of anxiety, in a place of just not trusting you. And and we're seeing other things happening around us that we just really can't keep up with, even if it's just a part of our mind and of our own anxiety. Lord God, whatever the case is, that we're just not trusting you. I pray, Lord God, if there's one this morning or, or, or two or however many that have just said in their hearts this morning, I've never trusted you for salvation in my life. I don't don't know what it is to have a relationship with you. I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to speak to their hearts and lives this morning. Lord God, they would ask for help and they would ask for direction. They would just say, I I, want to know what it is to have a relationship with you. You tell us, Lord God, if we call upon you, if we turn from our wicked ways turn to you that you will come in and save us and dwell among us and Lord I pray for believers this morning I pray for Christians that have said I have a relationship with you but in our everyday life we're not showing it and as you tell us oh ye of little faith may we be the people that trust you that look to you and allow you to pour out your love and your blessings upon us. Lord, I pray for those things this morning for me and for us and for our families that are represented here today that that not only we can see the difference, but the world around us can see the difference. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you so much as we continue to worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. I invite you to stand as we continue to worship.